Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. There is a sense of a deja vu, isn't there, about Christmas? Same old, same old. Seeing uh, same Christmas carols. We do similar things, maybe tweaking here and there, but it's pretty much the same things that we do year in and year out. But for some people, uh, it's the highlight for them. I know uh, one of our members, Die Backhouse, this is the favorite time of the year for her. But for others, ho, ho, ho can feel like ho, ho, no. Oh, not again, not another Christmas. A columnist writing for a, 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 a Scottish paper last year described Christmas as basically lockdown on steroids. Now she writes, a few days of frenetic panic buying of stuff we don't really need, followed by all the shops being closed, kids, everyone stuck at home, bored out of their minds, waiting either to be fed or entertained, and a seemingly endless cycle of cooking and cleaning. True of Scotland, maybe in terms of shops being closed, but otherwise, the rest of what she writes, or what she wrote, is relatively true. Maybe she's just a pessimist. Speaking of which, have you ever heard of a story of a couple with uh, two little boys? One of them is a confirmed pessimist, and it's a daily challenge for them to lift his spirit up, to lift him out of his doom and gloom outlook on life. The other boy is an eternal optimist. Their challenge with, with this one is figuring out how to bring him down a notch or two. All their efforts brought little change to their two boys. One year, the father comes up with an idea. He said to himself, on Christmas Day, for the pessimistic son, they will fill his room with toys and gadgets right up to the ceiling. And when he gets up, he will be on such a high, he will finally break free from his pessimism. With their optimistic son, they would dump a huge pile of horse manure to level out his optimism a bit. Christmas morning comes, and they excitedly go and check up on their pessimistic son. Sitting in the middle of the room, he looks grumpy and depressed. And he says to his parents, when am I going to have time? When am I going to find time to play with all these toys and gadgets? I'm overwhelmed. Next, they go to the room of the optimistic son to find him enthusiastically shoveling the manure, saying to, the, to his parents, there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. There's got to be a horse in here somewhere. Now, when it comes to the state that our world is in, I'd say that all of us, or not most of us, are in despair, not just the pessimists. No one thinks that our world is great as it is. No one thinks, for instance, that injustice, greed, suffering, disease are all good things. We only have to read the news in whatever form to be reminded of how much evil and darkness there is in our world. We all remember the abduction of Cleo Smith from her tent in October. While her rescue was greeted with joy and relief, it was a bittersweet moment, I'm sure, for Daniel Morecambe's parents and people 
like them. What about two teenagers, age 16, who murdered their Spanish teacher? The growing human trafficking and environmental problems, the terrible tragedy that took six young lives in Tasmania. And we're only thinking about news that are being reported. What about untold news that we don't hear about are happening in Asia and other parts of the world? There's a very honest cartoon in which a man is talking to his colleague at a Christmas party. On his Christmas theme shirt are the words, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And this is what he says to his colleague, and the caption reads, I know it's silly, but it does make people laugh. I know it's silly, but it does make people laugh. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. All of us, all of us, without exception, hunger and long for a better world. But if our hunger and thirst point to food and water, then I would like to suggest that a hunger for a better world is actually a sign that, firstly, a better world did exist, that a better world did exist once upon a time. In the Christian worldview, such a world did exist. In the beginning, God designed the world for good. He created humankind for intimate friendship with him. People were, uh, were created to be in community, freely loving and serving one another. We were created to care for our environment, just as it was created to take care of us. But how do we get from there to here? How do we get from there to the present? In a nutshell, the Bible tells us that we decided that we didn't need God anymore. We went rogue, and the, dark, and the, and the light within was lost, and we descended into darkness, turning on God, turning on ourselves, turning on one another, and on creation itself. But in the Christian worldview, our hunger for a better world is also a sign that a better world will exist one day. And that's the context of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, all, uh, a verse that we're all very familiar with, particularly at Christmas. It is one of the most well-known prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. I read to you, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When Isaiah gave this prophecy, his nation was in a state of darkness. His nation was in a state of spiritual, moral, and economic decline. After years of turning their backs on God and walking in their pride and their wisdom and in their strength, there was a lot of doom and gloom amongst his countrymen. At the time, Israel was a divided nation. The northern kingdom of Israel was about to be invaded by the Assyrians, a ferocious, ferocious and superpower, brutal superpower at the time. In the southern kingdom, as expected, there was fear and panic. It was in the midst of this great darkness, Isaiah prophesied that God would intervene and send a great light. This light, of course, refers to none other than Jesus Christ, who would come 700 years later. Fully God 
and fully human, ordinary in every way. It would be subjected to pain and sorrow, rejection, humiliation, tiredness, and temptations. And he would come to sacrifice his life for us, to replace the darkness that's in our hearts with his light. Isaiah was saying then and is saying now, things are bad now, but it will not stay that way. God will intervene, and in time, he will restore our world to a version that's way even better than the one that he created originally in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But with this light in us, we will also get to experience a foretaste of God's blessings in this world. Folks, this is the message of Christmas. This is what we are celebrating. The apostle Paul, one of Jesus' closest disciples, confirms Isaiah's prophecy in the gospel that bears his name in chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. The true light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. When Jesus was on earth, yes, he healed and he fed people by the thousands, but that was not his primary reason for coming. He performed numerous miracles and good deeds. So many, in fact, that the same apostle John wrote that if every one of them was written down, he reckoned the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written about these miracles. So in the Gospels, we only see a smidgen of the miracles that he performed and the good deeds that he performed. Even so, that's not why he came. He came first and foremost to give us back our right to become children of God, a right that we denounced, a right that we rejected, by living without reference to him, by saying to God, I will determine precisely how I will live my life. And that is at the heart of what sin is and the genesis of all of humanity's problems. When the Bible talks about sin, it is referring to this defiant, rebellious, indifferent, and independent posture that we adopt toward God, not just the bad things we do, there's a lot more to sin than meets the eye. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn was spot on when he wrote in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, a non-fictional account of his imprisonment and millions of other Soviet citizens, mostly during the Stalin's rule from 1929 to 1953. He wrote, if only it were, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and if it were necessary only to separate them 
from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. And this is precisely the problem of humanity that Jesus alludes to in his encounter with the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And I read to you. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why were you thinking like this? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? But I want you to know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the men, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. Praise God. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The paralyzed man, with the help of his wonderful friends came to Jesus so that Jesus could fix his physical problem. That's very obvious to see. The steps that he and his friends took gives us an indication how desperate he was to be able to walk again. He's resting all of his hopes, all of his future on being able on being able to walk again. You could hear him say, you could read his thoughts and in his mind, if you could heal me, Jesus, I know I would be set for life. I'd be happy again. I would have control of my life once again. I would, my future will look brighter than what it is. As a paralyzed man, there is no future for me, but if I could walk again, my future is bright indeed. Jesus, if you could heal me, I'll never be the same again. I would have my life back. But notice Jesus' response. He offers the man what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness of his sins. In doing so, Jesus was saying to the man, and I'm paraphrasing here, you come to me asking for your body to be healed I completely understand why. I feel your pain. 
I feel your suffering. I feel your disillusionment. I feel the darkness that's in your heart because of your physical condition. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But you have a much bigger problem than meets the eye. You have underestimated the depths of your problem. You have underestimated the depths of your longings. You think if you could walk again that you will get your life back, but you are gravely mistaken, my son. If all I do is heal your body, you'll feel you'll never be unhappy again. But a month on, six months on, 12 months in, the ecstasy that you experience will evaporate. The joy from being healed and being able to walk again, it will not last. It will evaporate like vapor. You see, the roots of the discontent of the human heart go deep until God becomes your contentment. You will never be truly content. Your heart will forever be restless until it finds rest in God. To experience this, my son, you'll need to experience and know God's forgiveness which will restore your relationship with him as your father, as your maker, as your creator. That is what I am offering you. There was a relatively well-known preacher whom thousands of people had turned out to hear one day. After his talk, he did something that he doesn't normally do at the end of his talks. This is what he said to the audience. We're going to pray for, for anybody who has a need right now. I don't really know if anything could come of this, but I've been thinking about the healing power of Jesus. And I've never, never really had anything miraculous happen to me. I'm not a faith healer, but Jesus said to pray for miracles. And so if it's okay with you, I'm going to pray for anyone who needs a miracle in their life. I love his honest approach. Is down-to-earth approach. So here's an opportunity. If you need a miracle in your life, come forward and I'll pray for you. I can't make any guarantees, but you come and we'll see. Who knows? Something might happen. He was surprised at the number of people who came forward that night, but is even more surprised by their requests. My marriage is falling apart. I've tried everything. And I need God to work a miracle in our relationship. Another said, my 14-year-old daughter ran away last month, and we haven't heard from her, and we don't know where she is. We need God's help in finding her. Another said, my son is in, in a rehab again. Please pray for a miracle that this time he will make a full recovery. He listened. And he prayed, and the people went their way after the meeting. A week later, he received a call. The woman on the other end of the line said, Do you remember me? I'm the one who came forward for my husband. Maybe you don't remember, but you prayed for him. He had cancer. The preacher was silent on the other end of the phone line. The woman continued, Well, he died. Well, he died. His heart sank. He felt so bad for the lady, he almost fainted. But she continued, but I just wanted to call and thank you for praying for him. 
You'll never know how much it meant, not only to me, but also to my husband and to my family. To be honest with you, he had become almost unbearable. The cancer made him so full of hatred and anger. He would lay in bed cursing God and cursing anyone who tried to help him. He had driven away his children and his friends. He was a monster. But something miraculous happened after you prayed for him. He was like a new person. And in the last six days of his life, we shared such joy together and such love together. Reverend, my husband didn't get cured of cancer, but he sure got healed. He sure got healed. His heart was healed. Like the paralyzed man, the woman, the wife, underestimated the depths of her husband, of her longings, the depths of her husband's problems when she asked for prayer that her husband will be cured of cancer. The bigger problem wasn't cancer. That was bearable. The bigger problem was a husband's toxic heart. And that was unbearable. But God, in his mercy, healed it. There's so much more to Christmas than meets the eye. It's neither a ho-ho-ho or a ho-ho-no day. It's a celebration of Jesus coming into our world he created to live among us, overflowing with tender mercy and truth to give us the greatest gift of all, a total reconciliation with God, and in so doing, restoring our rightful status as God's children, as God's sons and daughters. To restore our hearts, to be our Prince of Peace. I hope and pray that whatever it is you're doing, you'll have a wonderful Christmas. But more than that, you'll make time to think about the message of you, that you've heard this morning and perhaps take a moment to have a word with God about what you heard, about the state of your heart. Let me close our service with this beautiful poem title, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, written by Henry Wedworth Longfellow, a 57-year-old father of six children whose wife died in a tragic fire two years earlier before being confronted with news that his oldest son had been shot in the face and was severely wounded in the American Civil War. He wrote the poem, and it's in the Christmas article that you would have received, and not on your way out, there are more copies. Uh, on the table out there. And you can follow this poem. Now, he wrote the poem that captured a dynamic and dissonance in his own heart and the world he observed around him that Christmas day, something we can all relate to. And I'll read it as a prayer. And you can follow. I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old and familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along, the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, 
goodwill to men. Then from each blank, black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drown of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Jesus, our Emmanuel, sent this very day, not necessarily this very day, but we remember that Jesus was sent to bring goodwill, to bring peace on earth. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.